Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Somebody needs to take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group. Hello, and welcome back to the Brew Hoop Podcast. After a one-week sojourn into the depths of South Carolina for a, a baby shower last week, Adam Paris, co-managing editor, that's me, of course, is back for this episode. And kudos to Riley and Kyle for just stepping up big time last week and, and hosting a, a beautiful, beautiful pod. And this week, while we're not joined by Kyle, Riley Feldman, my compatriot, is here as well. Riley, how are you doing on this Sunday after a tragic Bucks loss to the Sixers? Wait, hold on. It was a baby shower. I thought you were going for like a special on the ground report of Chris Middleton's background and what it means for the upcoming contract that he's going to get. I'm not going to say I didn't try and scout out the trees and the backyard (laughs) that he was shooting through to sort of see if maybe he was seeing those in his eyes and during the Sixers game or something. But um, yeah, no, it was clear skies at this baby shower in the uh, diaper race. I performed really poorly. I realized I um, put the diaper on backwards and I didn't give the baby any leg room so i just uh, strapped the legs into the diaper um, which i found found out was wrong this got a lot weirder a lot quicker than i thought it would so it's probably <laughs> best if we move on from the shower and start talking yeah. to basketball yeah that's a that's actually a really smart move so sorry about that for any listeners so first off uh kyle thankfully got to go to the game um sadly it, it wasn't a win but we just want to give a quick update that he gave us in our notes. His uh, special his, report. His, his special his report. report. <laughs> this is this was his in arena report. Um, went through rigorous edit- editing. All right. Quote: Garbage birthday present. Bucks couldn't hit a shot. Sixers made tough baskets. Wilson back is good. <laughs> now, by Wilson back, does it mean like Wilson's back is good, or like Wilson? Be- I'm assuming Wilson being back is what he's going for, right? Yeah, I I think that's probably what I think that's probably what Kyle okay. wanted right. to say. So, um, so hopefully that doesn't get taken uh, any further than it should. Like uh, last week when I was uh, accused of being a Sixer sympathizer, thankfully Kyle <laughs> jumped to my defense. Um, just Sorry. because I live in Philadelphia does not mean I am a Sixers sympathizer. Uh, so this this win will smart a little bit because I'll have to hear some crap from my roommates. But I just wanted to go on the record here uh, against what Riley said and, and let people know I'm not a Sixers sympathizer. This this win it, it smarted more than I thought. Riley, I don't know if it's I think it's the the Bucks just one we haven't lost that much, that much this year, so it's every win hurts a little more. Every loss hurts a little more. 
But two, just as we get closer to playoff time, it's just and we play an opponent like this, it's just hard not to get kind of ramped up, uh, especially on a Sunday nationally televised game, right? Yeah, it was like a, a the conflu confluation of like all the awful things that could go into a Sunday matinee game. So you got the national TV audience, which I'm sure doesn't really matter to the players, but it adds a little bit of extra pressure to at least to the fans at home. And then you have a potential playoff matchup, like a team that I personally despise with all my, you know, being, I'm not sure if that's the same for the players, but obviously they're a challenger for the playoffs. And like you said, as you kind of get closer to the playoffs, you, everything kind of goes underneath the microscope. Like it's one thing if you're blowing teams out in the first third of the season, like, oh, wow, this is crazy. But as you get closer to the end, you kind of lapse into thinking where it's like, okay, do you finish strong? Or are you kind of sputtering nearish the end in comparison to the rest of the season? So to come in a little shorthanded with the Brogdon issue, and we'll get into that later, but to come in, struggle throughout the evening, uh, kind of keep it close to the end, but still not be able to get it over the top. Yeah, it, it's frustrating whether or not it means a lot for the rest of the season. We'll kind of get into that. Yeah, and of course the Bucks lose 130 to 125. Uh, on their on their home court, Pfizer Forum looked like it was ready to explode a couple of times, but the Bucks just couldn't get over that hump. Uh, we have to, of course, shout out Giannis for his new career high. He eclipsed the fifty point marks, ended with fifty two points, sixteen rebounds, and seven assists. Uh, Joel Embiid for the Sixers re really beasted as well, forty points, fifteen rebounds, just four of thirteen from three. So he was a willing shooter, but uh, you know, hit hit right around his season average. That's about what he's that's about what he's shooting, um, but. He really was a mammoth down there for Philadelphia late. And Jimmy Butler went off for 27 points, some really, really difficult shots made by him. If you look at just some of the base stats here, so basically points in the paint were even. You know, that's always never a really good indication. The Bucs always shoot, do really well in the paint. So they were even at 46. Bucks really eclipsed them in fast break points, 32 to 13. Uh, if you're looking at the raw shooting numbers, Philadelphia shoots 47%, Bucks at 45.3. But the, the standout number, of course, is the three-point shooting. So the Bucks attempt 50 attempts today, 16 for 50 on the day, 32%. Meanwhile, the 76ers shoot 32 attempts, yet make just one less than the Bucks at 15. So they're at 46.9%. And the other thing that really stands out to me, Riley, was the just the Bucks' really poor defensive rebounding rate. 70% this is on the ESPN.com box score looking at there that would be the bucks fourth worst mark of the season and as as most of you know the bucks have just vaulted up the standings this year in terms of defensive rebounding to the top of the league and if you look at some of the the stats on, on cleaning the gap cleaning the glass so on on putbacks philadelphia basically had uh how many they have the stat points per miss on putbacks so it's how many points how many putback points did the team score per 100 missed field goals or reboundable free throws so the sixers are up at 31.6 on that which was ranked in the 87th percentile in the league and if you look at how much the bucks you normally allow it's 15.5 so basically half of that which is the second best mark in the league and even the worst team in the league in that in that category phoenix suns allowed 23.7 so the Philadelphia 76ers second chance points and offensive rebounds really hurt the Bucks today. Yeah, and I wonder how much of that is just like the nature of their roster because everybody talks about it, but they have like an especially long and tall team. And when you have Embiid out there, who is obviously just a load to handle by himself, of his physical wise, and then you have Simmons, Butler, Harris as of late, um, JJ Redick to a lesser extent, and then you have Boban off the bench. They just have a lot of dudes who. I don't know if it's 
too much of a load to handle. I know there was a lot of possessions or a lot of minutes where like DJ was stuck out there and it's like, he's doing everything he can to wall and beat off, but there's only so much that the physical difference between the two, he can kind of try and overcome through sheer effort or kind of creativity. Um, and I think it ended up working out at least a little bit when Lopez was out there because Giannis was able to scoop up 15 defensive rebounds. So in theory, that still kind of worked out where Lopez still walls off the main rebounder on the other team and just kind of lets Giannis to get it and initiate the offense from there. But even then there was a lot of times where a rebound would kind of cling off and a lot of guys were kind of scrambling. It wasn't very clearly going to one bucks player or another. It was just a lot of like scrambling on the baseline to try and get the rebound. Um, and I mean, 15 offensive rebounds to the Sixers, it's not great to Milwaukee's 10, but um, I think it might just be that the Sixers are uniquely kind of prepared for it. And it's it, super annoying, obviously, but <laughs> it, I, I'm not sure how much you have to worry about that being something that goes on kind of down the stretch. And uh, maybe depending on, I don't know, there's not really anybody that can back up to go against Embiid besides Lopez. We don't really, I'm not going to toss Pau Gasol out there for sure. I mean, (laughs) you want to see the rebounding numbers tank. That's how you do it. But um, I think there's probably something to kind of keep an eye on. And then maybe, but will have a different approach. There is the teams meet once more again this season, I think in Philadelphia. So um, we'll get another chance at it, but they just have a uniquely constructed roster that makes it a pain to deal with. Yeah, and I think that, well, the interesting thing about the idea of their uniquely fitting rosters, I remember after the, the Tobias Harris trade was made or whatever, it was sort of floated on Twitter. I wonder if there's a, a rationale for the Bucks to try and supersize and, and go with that, like Giannis, Ursan, uh, on Giannis, Ursan, uh, Lopez lineup to try and counteract all the length that the Sixers had. Um, Frank Madden adroitly pointed out that he, he thought that maybe just going with Brogdon would be a, a sticking with the regular lineup might be a better solution anyway. But, you know, you saw, obviously, that Brogdon won't be a, a solution for a little while here. And like you said, we'll get into that later. But, I mean, it seemed like the Bucks with Miritich in there, it's not a fantastic defensive rebounder, but it seems like they should have had enough length to counteract any advantages that the Sixers had. You know, it, I just think, I think you're right that that Embiid's weight and power down low really can just counteract what the Bucks are able to do. And, I mean, even the fact that he shoots 13 three-pointers, you know, part of that is that, that probably draws Lopez out to the perimeter a little bit too, so you can't quite, uh, but he can't. You can't quite use some of his amazing box out skills that have really helped the Bucks' defensive rebounding numbers. You know, so then you get guys like Ben Simmons or or Jimmy Butler or freaking Mike Scott. You know, crashing the glass <laughs> and falling into the stands <laughs> and taking a drink out of somebody's cup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, respect to that guy for for having the wherewithal to look to his right, see the cup, take it out, and drink it. I mean, that was. That was spectacular. And who who it looked just like Coke, which is too bad. I wish it was like a beer or something. And he had chugged the whole thing. But um, you know, the other the other thing that was interesting when I was thinking about uh you know the the offensive rebounding numbers, and you you mentioned it too, was it did just seem like there were a lot of loose balls that just went that just went their way. And it really seemed like Budenholzer was kind of doing the he was certainly just doing the coach speak thing and all of his his we need effort first we half. need more effort out there yeah guys. We, we need more effort they're getting all the loose balls even like the one uh in the huddle segment that they did on espn was he was just like they're getting to every single loose ball we need to get these uh, but i think there's you know there's something to that i they use those kind of things all the time but I, I mean it did seem like some of those were just clanking off going slightly longer i mean there's one there were dj wilson had uh, I think it was I think it was Embiid like fronted then flipped around had really good box out position and it just like went a little bit over his head you know so it, sometimes that's just how the ball how the ball bounces and there's nothing you can do in that in that respect. 
Yeah, and it doesn't help when there was, in that regard, you could say the rebounding was definitely probably an advantage for Philadelphia, but there was a lot of opportunities, obviously, on the other end for the Bucks to take advantage. Um, and I guess we can kind of start talking about that a little bit. Like, the biggest thing, or what I think a lot of people are probably going to point to, I haven't looked at like the comments in the post game, but there was a stretch, I think, in the second quarter, maybe into the third, where um, Chris, in place of Brogdon, since he's out, kind of led the substitute unit. And there was time after time where he was getting switched on to Boban, and he just wasn't able to take advantage. And that kind of bled into a larger issue with the game where the Bucks got a ton of good looks from three. Um, they got all the different types of looks that they're usually looking for either at the rim or from three. And for what, one reason or another, they just weren't able to get it to go. I think uh, Miritich ended up one for seven for the night. And I don't think he made a single three, but yeah, almost every single, six. yeah, I think every single one of his attempts was wide open. And there was countless times where Giannis did his usual thing where he, drive and kick and sometimes the guy would get it to go in dj i think he found him on a couple of drives and that converted three pointers but in general for some odd reason and again this is an issue with a when you're just so reliant on the jump shooting is that when the jump shots don't go down then you're gonna have a tough time and that's reflected in the sheer number of threes that milwaukee made and it wasn't like 50 totally contested threes it was a lot better of a look than that just sheer, that uh base number would show you so I think that's a concern, but I'm not sure if that's just kind of inherent in the way that they play or if it's something we should be demanding more of or how you would look at that. Yeah, and I, I think the, the interesting thing about this one is it's it's it felt like a game of, of outliers, perhaps on, on both ends. So, I mean, you're not going to expect Philadelphia to shoot 46.9% from three almost ever. You know, If you look at cleaning the glass, on three pointers, they're ranked seventh in the league at thirty-six point five percent. So you're not you're not really going to expect them to be able to do that. Um, you know, the Bucks, of course, shoot thirty-five point seven percent. So, you know, there's not a huge amount of difference between those two teams. But you know, Bucks obviously thirty-two percent today. So it's a little bit of an outlier game for the Bucks, especially considering how many good shots that they had. We talked already about the defensive rebounding numbers for the Bucks. That was certainly an outlier, and I don't really think I don't. You maybe we'll see if they meet in the playoffs whether this was symptomatic of what this new Sixers lineup can do against the Bucks. But uh, to me, it's it seemed a little bit more about Bucks maybe just not taking care of their business or or a bit maybe a bit of bouncing of the ball today. Uh, and then you you I mean you also look at it, it really seemed like the Sixers were hitting some incredibly difficult shots, especially from mid range on the day per cleaning the glass. They shoot forty seven point eight percent from the mid range. Uh, that's on. 46 attempts too, right? That's a, it's a really high number from the mid range. Of course, the bucks give those up all the time, but uh, on the season, they're shooting 39.9%, you know, just about middle of the pack. So it, it's a little bit of an outlier game for them and shooting. If a team shot 47.8% from the mid range over the course of a season, I mean, that would be, that would be incredible. I mean, even golden state, who's the top mid ranging shooting team in the league, 45.6%. So it seemed like there was a lot of stuff, that maybe uh, went well for the Sixers today, especially in terms of shooting, uh, you know, their rebounding. It seemed like all their stuff, anything that they really could have wanted basically went probably according to game plan, besides the fact that they couldn't stop Giannis on the day. Yeah, I think this is another game where you point at and just say, continue to, this is ironic because it's the Sixers, but you quote unquote, trust the process that, uh, <laughs> that Bud is put in place, especially on the defensive end, because I think people kind of, mentally replay the game and those MB threes kind of near the end of the game will jump out or at least the wide open attempts that he gets just because of the drop scheme and the fact that Brooke Lopez kind of 
sits in space and kind of shades with the whoever the pick and roll guy is, um, just kind of prevents there being anything other than a mid ranger. And because he gets sucked in so deep, he's not able to close out all that effectively. But normally you're not going to run into guys like Embiid who are willing or able to make those kinds of three point shots. And even then four from four or 13, I mean, I don't know for me, I'd rather Embiid be taking those shots than trying to kind of beast it down low. So mm-hmm. um, I would caution people from overreacting to the fact that Brooke Lopez isn't exactly deft enough to be able to cover all that ground because the scheme is set up to be able to cover for that. So yes, it's annoying. Um, and maybe there'll be slight adjustments, but don't let the fact that Embiid made like a three at the end and then taunted fans to kind of jump out and, you know, kind of drive you to want to change the entire system because it's worked so far. Yes, it's a pain, but again, this is a big outlier and you just hope it corrects itself as the season goes along. Yeah. And the thing that I always was really interested by the fact we all know that the Bucks shoot threes and, and shots at the rim. And, and we'll, we'll touch on this again later, but I think the, the absence of Brogdon will really affect their amount of attempts at the rim. And I mean, you, you saw he was gone today. They shoot 53 pointers. That's a, it's an incredibly high number, but I, I wanted Bledsoe to drive at the rim a lot more when Boban was in the game. And I, I really think that that's something that he's really going to have to pick up in the lack of in Brogdon's absence is, uh, you know, it seems like Bledsoe is just so fast and that's where he's really effective is driving to the rim, getting past his guys. And I don't think Philadelphia has a guy who can really match him, especially with Butler probably having to guard Middleton. I think that Bledsoe on Redick matchup is, is their biggest advantage because Redick just doesn't have the speed to keep up with him. Yep. And the, like you said, the Sixers went really big and there's advantages to that, but the Bucks have uh, the advantage at the guard spot and the Sixers people talked a lot about how they don't really have a guy who can match up against elite point guards in the East. So I think that's where the, where we really missed the fact that Bledsoe had a, had a tough day in the office five for 14, um, just 12 points, and two steals, six assists. So I, I think he he's someone who you really should watch if these teams match up again. And definitely in that April 4th matchup, I think it is uh, when they, they square off again. When did the Sixers trade for Terry Rozier? Am I right? But I, <laughs> no, I agree that uh, of all the different positions, just because they play with Ben Simmons and I mean, Simmons is an all right defender, but Eric Bledsoe still has the speed and athleticism. And it, I mean, he got to the rim or close to the rim or at least forced the defense to collapse a couple of times. And that kind of led to open shots elsewhere as well. But I agree that if we're going to be out with Brogdon, again, we don't know what the full timeline is, but kind of seeing, is he able to pick up the offensive load and it's not going to be picking up the offensive load, adding more three pointers. Cause we're already shooting a lot of three pointers. So Chris has kind of struggled a little bit. I don't know if it's just cause his dribble isn't nearly as tight or if he, it, Again, maybe this is me just looking at anecdotal evidence or what I can kind of remember, but I'm not sure the last time that Chris had an easy time driving towards the rim. So if the only other options are like post broke up or Giannis cutting to the rim, that's going to get old real quick. And part of the plus of having Brogdon is that you can still attack the paint without having to rely on just Giannis beasting it and getting kind of beat up all night long. So I agree that if Bledsoe is going to, you know, prove his worth it would be wonderful if he stepped up and increased his attacking inside and he's he's still got the speed and athleticism i guess especially against a team like the sixers to take advantage of that yeah he, he finished a team worst minus 70 today so say what you want about no big deal <laughs> yep yeah no big deal nothing to see here uh you know the what was the i'm trying to think of something else that was interesting okay did you hear this is this true was this a story i'd already we had that would already came out that ursan broke his nose so many times that his facial id stopped working on his phone 
I did you hear, hear that. I'm not. I heard. Uh, was it Mike Breen on the call? Who was on? The I think call so. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was. Yeah. I. I don't remember. I'm sorry. Or no. No. I, yeah. I can't remember. It was it's, the other uh, guy. Kirby and uh, yeah. <laughs> Shout out other guy. Um. No. I did. I hadn't heard that story before he revealed it to the world. That was. Uh, that was incredible. So shout out to you, Urson, for taking another charge on Jimmy Butler. That was beautiful. Also shout out Chris Middleton for continuing his. Uh, revenge tour on Jimmy Butler and, and slamming that shot in his face, slamming that dunk. That was absolutely picturesque. Doesn't make up for the fact that he was six for 16 before those final threes in the first fourth quarter, bro. <laughs> totally true. Totally, totally true. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's start to talk about, this was obviously the Sixers game was, was really big game. You know, too bad that the Bucks lost, but I think we talked to talked enough about that. So let's move on to talking a little bit more about the week that was. So, Let's start at the beginning of the week. Uh, of course, this was the the game, fateful game against the San Antonio Spurs. A bat came out. Bucks lose that one. Uh, it really, it seemed like it basically went seemed to go according to script. You know, Bucks are a little shorthanded, I think, and the Spurs just medieval mid range game lays siege to the Bucks, thirty two to six in mid range points. Uh, it's kind of what we expected going into that game, right, Riley? They just executed their offense. Bucks give up mid range shots, and they hit the shots. Lots of Pau Gasol minutes, a lot of Pau Gasol minutes. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't just that the Spurs did exactly what you expect them to do and did it to perfection, but it was also like the most schedule loss of all schedule losses because yeah. the Bucks had played the Hornets the night before. I think the game finished at like it was a late start too, so it was like an eight o'clock start. So the game didn't end till ten thirty. They must have flown immediately after getting hit in the showers in the locker room to San Antonio. Then you had daylight savings time, so you lose an hour of sleep. And then I, don't, I can't remember. I'm sure the Spurs are pretty good at home, but you have all that, a little bit injury trouble, and you got a lot of Pau Gasol minutes, and you're going to end up with loss. The most frustrating part was like how late the starters were out there, uh, just because if you're going to lose, you'd rather them get a little bit of rest. But it was still close all the way to the fourth, so I'm not going to criticize that all that much. Yeah, those those back to backs are killer. I mean, the fact that they've lost on a they had to go to on a back to back to Utah, and then they got to go on a back to back to San Antonio. I mean, those are just going to be tough places to win, even if you have, even if it's not on a back to back. So that one was uh, wasn't too surprising to me. And then you know they get they they get back on track with a win against New Orleans uh, last Tuesday, one thirty to one thirteen. You know it, they came out a little slow out of the gates, but. That just was. That's just one where you kind of just have to trust in the fact that the Bucks were going to get it together, and you know Giannis goes for twenty four points, and, and they picked it up by the end of the game, and, and were able to really take control of it, uh, especially you know in the second quarter, and then they score forty five point third quarter, and and you know they really just they take care of business against the Pelicans. Yeah, you survived the storm of Anthony Davis. Uh, he's on a uh, artificially lowered minutes limit just because it's a weird new Orleans right now. Um, <laughs> so you survive his 20 minutes. He was, he did really well in those 20 minutes, but then otherwise it's like, okay, force Julius Randall to beat us. And he was unable to, and they had a lot of Frank Jackson, uh, three point attempts, which is probably not a recipe for success. So you weather the, uh, initial storm and eventually you just kind of beat him via sheer talent. So nothing too remarkable there. I don't think. Yeah, once again, I, I'll you know I'll fully admit I think I'm a decent basketball fan, but when I saw the Frank Jackson in their starting lineup, I just I did a I did a double take. I, I had no idea who he was. Didn't you say there were two people who was uh who was? Yeah, um, I didn't know like Williams. Kenrick Williams. Yeah, yeah I didn't know. know Kenrick Williams either. And Frank Jackson, <laughs> credit to that guy, man, hoists up 18 shots in that game, goes seven for 18. He doesn't even care. Takes more shots than Anthony Davis. 
<laughs> I'm going to be honest. Oh. We had to be really afraid of Jason Smith, the Jason Smith revenge game. Uh, oh, I think no. he ended with three rebounds. And, oh, he took three threes. He made none of them, and he took four field goals overall and made none of them in six minutes. So uh, the Bucks were able to <laughs> – they ducked the Jason Smith revenge game at least. Yeah, that was an excellent double agent work there by Jason Smith. So then the week ends with a night in Miami after, a, you know, I, I don't know if they, I'm sure they didn't go home. I'm sure they just went to Miami and spent a couple nights there. Yep. Bucks, of course, go in, just play like garbage, play like they have in Miami for sometimes these past couple of years, and they end up down 20 at halftime. And then completely flip the script in the second half and, and end up winning 113-98. And it's not even particularly close down the stretch. Giannis leads with 33 points, 16 rebounds, and 9 assists. Just an absolute mammoth effort from him. And I, I noticed they said on the broadcast, too, that that was – I believe they said that's the most points Giannis has ever scored in Miami or against Miami. But I wasn't – any you know, smart Bucks fan know that Giannis has had some trouble against the Heat. So I wasn't too surprised by that stat. But still good to see him kind of break out of what's been – an annoying trend of him struggling against the heat and finishing plus 19 too. So just a, just a big night for him and a huge night for the bucks to come back and take care of business in South beach. Yeah. I wasn't able to watch much of the game just because I was under the weather and was asleep at like eight o'clock. So I only caught the first 45 minutes or so. Um, but I think it's nice to kind of have that boogeyman off your back. Not that the bucks really view the heat as being some, a team that's really worth worrying about. Um, I saw that James Johnson did not play. And for one reason or another, James Johnson is among the like four guys who are quote unquote Giannis stoppers in the league, which is really odd, but he, he just happens to give them a hard time. I think the heat would be a gigantic pain in the butt if we had to play him the first round, just because, they could batter the hell out of Giannis for like whatever, four or five games, however long it took. And you want to avoid, you know, any chance or injuries or kind of draining the stamina right away. But I think it was just a matter of giving a damn in the second half. And uh, that's what happened in the Bucks win. <laughs> so you can hold, if you hold it, if you hold an NBA team to two consecutive 18 point quarters in terms of scoring, you're doing something right. So uh, good on the Bucks to at least show, as we all know that they have a capability of kind of surmounting no matter what kind of lead, especially against mediocre competition. Yeah. I think it said they were the first team in the shot clock era to be trailed by 20 at halftime and still win by 15 at the end of That's the crazy. game. So, yeah, no, there's, there's a random stat to just pluck out of midair, but yeah, it was crazy when they just, they, the heat just started packing it in and the bucks just, just overpowered them and overwhelmed them. So that was an impressive, impressive effort by them. It, one of the through lines from this past week, though, Riley, has kind of been Pat Connaughton emerging from the bench. And I, I don't really think he's doing much differently besides the only change that seems to have been is that he's been hitting his three-point shot with a little more consistency. So if you look starting with that San Antonio game, uh, he, went, he went four for four in that game against the Pelicans, one for three, but then was a big three for six against Miami. Uh, and then if you look at this Philadelphia game, I'm just pulling it up here, two for four. So not a bad day for him. He finished minus six, but obviously with the loss of Brogdon, you need these guys on the bench to be able to hit shots consistently. This was something I was kind of nervous about coming into the season just because he had had, you know, he shot 30, or is three point percentage. He shot 35.2% in Portland last year, but that was really the only time he's actually had a decent volume even in the NBA yet. So he had 200 attempts last year, 35.2% percent you know percentage from deep the only the two years before that he'd only attempted 54 shots total from three point percentage from three point land so this year he's 45 for 147 down to 30.6 percent so 
you know, it, it's hard to really read a whole lot in that trend. He could just be having a hot streak like most shooters do, but you know, I guess we'll kind of find out here down the stretch whether that 35.2% was more the, the his ceiling on his on his percentage from deep or if that was uh, more of just an outlier. Yeah, I think I'm not sure if there's been any guy, I mean, you could say Chris Middleton just cuz he's more divisive, but a guy who's had such a high and low just throughout the season like he started Pat Connaughton started off the season seemingly really well just cuz he was getting a lot of minutes and he was like dunking and I had no idea he could dunk uh Hashtag no prejudice. Uh, and then like midway through the season, he kind of dropped off. And just as he looked through the, I think games 20 through like 60 or 20 through 60, I think he was just shooting like less than 30% from three yeah. and now he's back. And I think maybe not that I wish injury on any of the guys, obviously, cause you'd rather have full compliment, but um, one of the few bright sides, I guess, with having to force Connaughton out there is if he's a guy who needs a lot of, like just high volume and just needs more time to get into a rhythm. The fact that Dante is unavailable and George Hill was unavailable and Sterling has been unavailable. Maybe that's all to the plus because you can kind of ride Connaughton here as he's hot and just see if that continues on for a couple of weeks. Um, but definitely fortuitous timing on his part. I'm not sure if you can expect it to last and rely upon it into the playoffs just because we've already seen that he can have a tough stretch, but uh, good for him for stemming up and, not fo- having us focus on the fact that he was getting caught out on defense time after time for, you know, on that West coast road trip, which was a little brutal for him. Yeah. Yeah. Credit to that guy for, you know, he, he does a decent job affecting the game in, in plenty of different ways um, with some of his energy plays and that kind of stuff. You know, both him and Dante do that, but obviously both of those guys really need shots to go in for them to have the type of value that the bucks need and bud needs for them to play him on the court. So good on him. And that's something to track as we get down into the final stretch of the season here. So, all right, Riley. Well, I think we need to start to transition into talking about the big news, of course, that Malcolm Brogdon is going to be out for six to eight weeks. But before we do that, I want to make a quick break for an ad. And on the other side of this, I am going to tell you about why my Bucks optimism and fandom has reached a renewed, renewed level of fervor. So stay tuned for that after the break. All right, and we're back. And Riley, you know... I live my life, boo. Oh, Jesus. I'm, I'm so nervous to say this on, like, on air. I'm just like, okay, I'm this so, is a safe, oh this is a safe environment. Everybody <sighs> welcomes you, Adam. Just let it all, get it off your chest. Come on. Man. Okay. I live my life by a, a lot of different tenets, but two of my core ones that I think that have really gotten me to a good place in life um, are sort of my financial frugality. Uh, and a level of honesty uh, that I, I think you would agree are really important in both life itself, but also especially relationships, right? Uh, yes, I would agree. I'm curious where this goes, but yes, I agree. So I made a decision this week uh, that flew basically in the face of, of both of those. And uh, I'm hoping it uh, doesn't have any repercussions for my impending marriage this fall. Um, so I know for a fact, my fiance does not listen to this podcast. So this will be a running theme going throughout the rest of the season, but I made my first sports bet ever. And I bet not a significant amount of money because I still am frugal, but enough that I feel like I have little skin, you know, skin in the game on the bucks to win the NBA championship. Whoa. What kind of odds did you get? That's quite, I have no idea how to read odds or what they mean. So you might have to explain it, but were they favorable? I think they were favorable. 
I got them at 10 to one odds and a week later, the bucks were down to nine to one. So I felt like I had made a smart choice. Uh, but I also knew uh, that I was, you know, delving into something maybe, you know, that maybe have a, might have a little repercussions because I, you know, a couple weeks ago, I'll say I, I just sort of floated this idea out there. I was feeling pretty high about the Bucks. I was looked at my fiance and I said, you know, I was thinking about maybe like placing like a small bet on the Bucks, you know, to see see how they would do. And um, she turned to me, and her eyes uh, looked like the devils, and she said. Don't you know we have a wedding coming up? You better not place a bet. <laughs> that's so, a really good impression of her. That's uh, for those that don't know, that's exactly what her voice sounds like too. <laughs> so um, this will be our little secret, me and all the podcast listeners. Uh, thankfully, she's uh, woefully uh, absent from social media. So I feel I feel pretty good about this, um, and uh, it makes me nervous. But it's you know I, I think it should be a fun little thing to follow throughout the rest of the year. I was uh, waiting for you to for that story to veer off, and she looked at me and said, "What the hell is a Milwaukee Buck?" Like, <laughs> totally, totally oblivious to anything that you do for the site or what the Bucks are at all. Uh, no, that's that's quite the show of confidence. I've uh, never put down any sort of money on sports betting. One, because I don't know what the odds mean. Two, I have mm -hmm. no idea where to do it. I would be the kind of guy that, even though it's legal in this country now, I would definitely get arrested for it. And uh, three. I'm not nearly intelligent enough to make any sort of educated guess either on a game to game or a season basis. So kudos to you for putting your money where your mouth is, uh, even though you don't really talk all that much trash. So I guess it doesn't work that, but <laughs> that's going to be a lot of pressure and we'll, we'll be able to tell week to week. We'll just have like a, how is Adam's bet doing? Or we'll, we'll just kind of track the odds, kind of see how it works. I think it'll be an interesting fold for the rest of the season. I'll just like tweet out pictures. I'll wear the same shirt each week and tweet out pictures of like how much I've pulled my collar out after each game. <laughs> Have you just like run it like, okay. <laughs> so uh, depending on if like that's completely loose and it looks like supposed to fit like a guy with like a giant head. Um, that's how, that's how we can track it in the weeks ahead, but hopefully you'll go along with this, uh, this little game we have here listeners and, um, both follow some of my financial future and, uh, my general future with my, my marriage coming up. So, Fingers crossed that that goes well. Anything um, for the pod. Hashtag anything for the pod. Anything for the pod. Hope my dad keeps it quiet, though. I know he listens. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's. Okay. Listeners don't need to hear anymore. So let's talk a lot about this Malcolm Brogdon injury. I, we were saying right before we came on that he might be the most interesting guy to discuss just because we all, I feel like, including myself in this, kind of take a little bit him a little bit for granted i mean he's having a 50 40 90 season you hear about that all the time but it, you know if we lost eric bledsoe it would be like okay how are we going to get a point guard some guy who can initiate offense some guy who's going to lead the defense you know what what are we going to do there um chris middleton just not going to go down that road um but i think that would be a, a difficult discussion as well um for some people uh brooke lopez i mean like, obviously he's been such a huge part of the bucks and, and what they do and i'm not even going to say the uh, g word uh knock on some wood so this Malcolm Brogdon injury, it's a minor plantar fascia tear. Uh, they expected him to be out six to eight weeks. Uh, in the ESPN article that was penned, they said there was, quote, optimism he could return closer to six weeks, end quote. Uh, six weeks, the six-week mark would put him at about April 26th. Uh, Eight-week mark would be May 10th. Uh, and I just, so obviously he'll miss the rest of the regular season. 
And then if you look at, I looked at the playoffs last year to sort of see where he might be returned, even if he came back at that six week mark. So game one of that Boston Philly second round matchup took place on April 30th last year. So if he came back right at the earliest time, he would probably be back for the start of this Bucks hopeful second round matchup if they make it that far. Uh, a couple other just quick medical notes. Uh, if you looked at, there was a tweet from David J. Chow, MD on Twitter, who is known for you know helping with football injuries when they happen and that kind of stuff. Talked said, quote, plantar fascia tear often is good news and that it relieves the problem of being too tight. However, it is a four to six week step back for the ultimate step forward. So David J. Chow, also poet laureate, clearly there with the uh, interesting wording. Yeah, uh, we can get that guy <laughs> on for a guest column here, please. Yeah. <laughs> please. Doctor, uh, if you hear us, if you're listening. <laughs> Right in. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, Jeff Stotts, who runs the uh, indispensable in streetclothes.com, um, also said he had an article about this in, in reference to Al Jefferson's um, plantar fascia injury, I think back in the 2014 playoffs. Said, um, you know, this is this is when I knew it was probably a, a time where he should probably, Malcolm Brogdon should probably go out when he says uh, the plantar fascia is specifically designed to withstand and disperse the increased forges, forces associated with walking, running, and jumping. So, Pretty vital stuff there for yeah, basketball. If you're going to be playing a sport, those are generally pretty important things. <laughs> um, if you look at sort of the range of of times that people were out, um, it looked like it was around 14 to 26 games where people were there in, in his database. I'll, I'll make sure to link include a link to that article in the article on Brew Hoop for the podcast. Um, Pagasol actually had this, this exact injury. Uh, he was out for 20 games, it looked like. So, you know, and actually I'm talking with an expert on the issue as uh, if Riley Feldman has also suffered uh, some issues with plantar fasciitis, I believe, right? Correct. Now, I'm not going to go ahead and give myself the title MD. Uh, so any doctors that are listening, I'm not jumping over that, but um, I do run quite a bit. Um, and this is kind of an issue that's common among runners. I'm not sure if there's any rhyme or reason why you get it, but for those that haven't experienced before, I didn't have a tear, but I have had plantar fasciitis and it just feels like this burning that's going on in the middle of your foot. And it becomes doubly aggravated when you're doing all those sorts of actions. Like you said, even just repetitive, like if you keep the weight off your foot while running, it's still going to kind of flare up, unfortunately. And it's just this dull aching pain that flares every once in a while. And really the only solution, if you don't have the tear is just to stay off it and not really do anything. Um, I'm guessing they, I'm not sure if it's something where you get the tear just out of the blue, or if that's just something that leads up to if you're dealing with fasciitis and then eventually it tears just from kind of having the pressure with it. I'm assuming that's probably the case in this situation. And if so, I mean, I feel for Malcolm because that is such a pain to have to, especially playing at that high of a level uh, night after night and dealing with that kind of pain that kind of debilitates you. Um, shout out to him. So I, I, I think it's probably best that he gets a little bit of rest here. It is really painful. It's really annoying um, just because there's nothing you can do. There's no like stretches or you can ice it a little bit, but otherwise just inactivity. So um, not fun, but at least it happened now with the chance for him to come back in the playoffs instead of, you know, with, you know, a week or two from now where we'd be deep into the playoffs before he could even hope to come back. Yeah, that's totally true. And, and like you said, it, it sounds like this is probably, it's, probably for the best that he had an actual tear as opposed to having this chronic issue that he's sort of dealing with maybe throughout the rest of the regular season and yeah. uh, right into the, into the playoffs, you know, if, if it was chronic, maybe they'd end up shelving him anyway and, and see if they could get it resolved before the playoffs. But of course we're going to have to deal with the realities that Brogdon won't be playing for a little while in terms of raw, uh, pr raw numbers that the bucks are going to have to replace at obviously shooting 50, 40, 90. Um, 
above those above those marks. He's at 15.6 points, 4.5 rebounds, and 3.2 assists. Uh, so Riley, I just want to throw it out there right away. Uh, how do you think uh, the Bucks are going to try and, and tackle this this absence from the team? Who do you who do you th- how do you think they're going to try and replace them? Whether it's go big, uh, put in one of these myriad wing players they have. What, what's your what would be your approach? I think it's interesting because we've seen Bud go both ways. Um, so when Brogdon was out earlier this season, the guy who stepped up in the starting lineup was always Tony Snell. And I think that was like three or four games earlier in the season. And ever since acquiring uh, Miritich, he's been the go-to guy. So based off of recent evidence, I would guess that Bud's going to go big. Um, and I'm not necessarily against that. I don't feel strongly one way or the other. I think... Maybe, I guess the question, not so much with the starting lineup for me, but more so how are you going to work it in with the substitutes? Because as of late, it seemed like there was a lot of minutes where um, Giannis and Chris might sub out, and then the only real starter who's left out there would be uh, Malcolm kind of running the offense. And that was for just a couple minute stretches at the end of the first and kind of maybe even to the start of the second. But I think especially in the playoffs, as we saw last year, like the minutes where you don't have the starters out there was when the Bucks got killed. And part of that was because of the coaching and the fact that you were playing Shabazz, Muhammad, 35 minutes a <laughs> night. Um, but I think that's something that I would keep more of an eye on. Like if you go big, I mean, that's fine. Uh, maybe you get Miritich right off the bench and you kind of go for the rebounding or something along those lines. And he still offers up a lot of shooting, which is helpful. Um but I'm more curious, are they going to try and rely as they did this afternoon against the Sixers, like having Chris out there kind of orchestrating the offense a little bit more? Maybe they try to stagger and have Eric out there more. So I'm curious how they're going to kind of patch up that hole. Maybe not so much for the starters, but more so for kind of within the rotation as a whole. Yeah, that you talking about the the Brogdon plus bench units. And I just pulled some of the numbers from NBA Wowie just in terms of of raw minutes they've played Brogdon far eclipses any of the the other starters. So Brogdon with none of the other starters on the, on the court have played 187 minutes this year tracks with the eye test. We've seen them finish up the end of quarters, Eric Bledsoe plus the basically plus the bench, you know, 28 minutes, Giannis plus the bench, 62 minutes, Chris Middleton plus the bench, 56 minutes. So really low totals for a lot of the rest of those guys. Uh, and th- that I did, did exclude Brooke Lopez, but I, I mean, you could you could throw him in there, and, and I wouldn't think that the numbers change too drastically. But I, I do remember watching that Heat game and thinking it was so weird to see Bledsoe on the court without like Giannis and Chris, and having him like finish out the period just because I'm so used to Malcolm Brogdon taking those taking those minutes. So yep. that that certainly is probably going to be the most interesting part to me. And I, George Hill coming back certainly helps that because you hope that he can try and initiate a little bit of offense. Um, but I think it's certainly going to be interesting to see how this changes Bud's staggering in terms of, in terms of those three stars who he wants to really try and finish out quarters. And if if he switches up his substitution patterns at all. Yeah. I think it's, it's unique or what's unique about Malcolm. Like he's not the ideal point guard, but he has a lot of the skills and the IQ to be able to run the offense if you need to. And when you look at the roster, I mean, how many more guys do you have once Brogdon is out who can do that capably? It's pretty much Hill and Bledsoe and Hill's, just returned from an injury and I don't know how quickly he's going to be able to ramp up his minutes. He seemed to kind of gotten a lot more burn as of late. Um, but he's only played two games since getting back from a nine game, you know, being out for nine games, thanks to the adductor injury. So I, I don't, it's, just, it's just a really tough spot. I am confident that the bucks will be able to overcome it. I mean, Giannis has had plenty of experience initiating the offense. Um, 
and the offense itself is relatively simple, but as we were talking even just earlier in the episode, the fact that you're losing a guy who's so good at going to the rim time after time and converting there, or at least being a threat to convert there, um, and then that just adds another kind of headache for defenses to have to deal with. You know, Do we kind of close in? Do we try and shut this guy down? Does that open up shooters on the perimeter? Um, and those are no longer questions that other teams are going to have to answer nearly as often as they might have when Malcolm was out there. So um, it's definitely going to be a pain. And the Bucks seem to, at least this afternoon, and then against the Heat as well, handle it relatively well. Um, obviously, the shots today, I was kind of unique and not really Brogdon-related, even though he's a really good three-point shooter, obviously. But I think um, it's it might be more of a pain for the playoffs actually, just because of rotation shortening up. Um, but it, I, I don't know. It, it puts a lot of things in flux, unfortunately. Yeah. And you talked about the, the jumpers, you know, sometimes you just jump shots aren't going to fall and teams have, the bucks have certainly succeeded despite being sort of a high variance team with the high number of three point shots that they shoot. But there was also the, there's also been plenty of spells where they shoot, you know, maybe not an absurd number of three pointers and they really just absolutely decimate other teams in the paint. And Malcolm Brogdon was a huge, huge part of that. I'm, you know, 56% of his shots come at the rim this year. That's 95th percentile for combo guards. That figure was just 43% last year. And if you look at it on cleaning the glass, basically he just took the exact, the, all of the percentage of shots that he took from mid range last year shifted all of those over to uh, shots at the rim. So taking low efficient shots and turning them into really highly efficient shots. And then his shooting at the rim, shooting 61% at the rim, he shot 62% there last year, but on nearly twice as many attempts this year as last year. So those are huge, huge figures for the Bucs and a team that has been dominant in the paint this whole season. And then the other thing that you were talking about, Chris Middleton, basically when he, when he drives, it, it feels like he's getting so easily shadowed and not able to get to the rim. And even when he gets there, he's not a super impressive finisher. We all know he kind of prefers to settle in the mid range, but uh, Malcolm Brogdon is third on the third on the Bucs in terms of drives per game, 10.1. He shoots basically half the time he decides to drive. He's at 53.3% field goal percentage on those drives. And I just pulled this on mbastats.com. But if you look at all of the players in the league who drive 10 plus times per game, pretty high number, only 45 players in the league do that. And he's ranks ninth in terms of that raw field goal percentage that he has. So I, I feel like that's really the part of his game that we absolutely do not give enough credence to is we all know he's a good, he's been a surprisingly a really, really good shooter, but I mean, his ability to both get to the rack despite a perceived lack of athleticism and still finish there is, is really been instrumental. And I think opened up a lot by this, the spacing uh, that's been instituted by Bud's offense. And, and he's really benefited, I would say maybe just as much as Giannis and Eric Bledsoe when his drive, when he's driving to the hoop. Yeah, it's pretty crazy that opening up the paint has just been like, okay, it, the guys who have benefited the most are like Giannis, who you could expect. But then the guards, like, I don't know, in years past, it was, it was just like always clogged up. It, it is pretty impressive how quickly both of the guys have been able to kind of transition to take advantage of the fact like this is the scheme that we're running now. And another part of Brogdon is it's not only just driving and then finishing around the rim, but he's also he's a pretty freaking good passer too. Like he rarely turns the ball over as well. And I don't know if he was finding that many assists off of like driving kicks as well, but just the fact that you could have this guy who gives you a slightly different look because it isn't Giannis per se. And, you know, teams don't have to wall Giannis off, but he kind of does similar ish things where he's a danger inside, but still also a danger to kind of find a guy on the outside as well. 
you know, that's definitely underrated coming from a combo guard that's, you know, second round guy. And he's kind of year over year improved and shown himself to be consistent when he gets, you know, opportunities. So I think it's definitely underrated the fact that you have like mini Giannis in a way, almost uh, out for a couple (laughs) of weeks here. Like maybe that's going too far, but you know, just like you were saying, I mean, he's, he's unique in that for his size, he goes inside as often he does and converts as often he does. And even if he doesn't convert the fact that, opposing defenses have to kind of account for the fact that, okay, he might come in that it, you're not relying on just Giannis to kind of collapse the defense and force the stretching. You're able to use three guys to do it. And now that you're down to two, how does that shift things? Especially like, I don't know if you put Tony in there, that doesn't really replicate it. I mean, he can kind of drive a little bit, but Tony doesn't do a lot as we all know. And Nicola, obviously that's, he's almost exclusively at this point in this scheme, a three point shooter. So that also, it's not really a viable option. So now that you only have two guys, is that going to mean there's not nearly as many threes or is it going to be harder to get inside? So I, I think that's something to keep an eye on. Yeah. I think it just gives them, it just, it's just clearly limits their options. I mean, when their threes aren't falling, it's just harder for them to be able to be like, all right, well, let's just drive in and try and get some easy points at the bucket so we can sustain ourselves into our threes until our threes start falling. I mean, they could have really, that's basically what Giannis did today in the third quarter. I mean, when he scored 17, he was like, all right, well, you guys aren't hitting shots, so I'm just going to go right to the basket and uh, bowl over Boban and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and keep us in this game until some of these shots might be able to fall. Of course, that didn't happen today where they were able to come back. But, I mean, you look at Malcolm Brogdon, there's a little bit of credence to the fact that he gets blinders when he drives, for sure. He doesn't have a huge uh assist percentage when he drives even though he drives you know like two times less than Giannis he has uh takes more field goal attempts than Giannis um Chris Middleton is I think a more adept passer and so he passes a little bit more on those drives but like we said he just has a little more I think he has a little more trouble getting to the hoop and it basically after those four it it drops off a cliff and maybe in more minutes George Hill could have a potential to do that but he's only had 2.6 drives per game this season I have no idea what his his career high might be in that figure. But I mean, after that, it's like Sterling Brown, 2.2, Pat Connaughton, 2.1, Brooke Lopez at two, who like might be the <laughs> who like might be a better driver than Chris Middleton, actually, <laughs> when he when he gets going down there. He's moving at two miles an hour the entire <laughs> way, like left foot, right foot, and dunk on you. <laughs> it's not really the uh, most athletic thing out there, but uh he gets it done, I guess. Yeah, certainly. So I I, th- I just think that's one thing that they're they're absolutely going to miss is a guy who you say can collapse the defense and, and try and distribute out, uh, and ho- hopefully they're able to pick up a little bit of the slack there. And then the other thing, the other thing that I was thinking about is even just looking at, I mean, he's made some huge, huge threes down the stretch this season, and, and the numbers certainly back it up. So at 85 clutch minutes, which if you don't know, is uh, the game is within five points within the last five minutes of the game. And uh, the 85 minutes that he has so far in the clutch is fourth most on the team. And he's an absurd nine for 12 on three pointers in the clutch this season, which is ice in his veins, ice in the veins, an absolutely ridiculous number, especially when you look at how the Bucks, other guys are shooting from deep. Uh, Giannis, Giannis is, Giannis is one for five. Chris Middleton, eight for 22, 36.4%. Um, Eric Bledsoe, surprisingly, seven for 15. That's a number that actually might come down. So look for that potentially in the playoffs. Brooke Lopez, one for nine. You know, Ooh, really, really poor. <laughs> uh, he yeah. made that three today. He uh, that like all the waiver out from Rhinelander. That was uh, yeah. <laughs> hopefully that helped boost that number for him. Um, and then and then after that, I mean, you're just getting into such small minutes. But 
Uh, so, okay, surprise. Who would you guess has played the most um, clutch minutes for the Bucks outside of the five starters? Um, man, that's tough. I it might even be like uh, Miritich. Even is that a weird? Is that is he even close? Probably not. No, he's he's not that close. Yeah, it's well, Pat Connaughton. Uh, that actually, yeah. I mean, he's gotten a lot of run as a late, and right? that would make sense. <clears throat> and I feel like there was a spell where he was even like playing minutes maybe over Bledsoe. Like, wasn't he like getting some minutes over Bledsoe potentially in the I might be remembering that. Yeah, wrong, I think but... was that like early in the season where like, oh, yeah. well, that shows that Bud really trusts uh that trusts Connerton <laughs> on defense or what I think that's was our early takeaway, early season takeaway on that. Yeah, yeah. Just uh just to lend uh, some numbers to that. He's minus twenty seven in those forty one minutes. Well, uh, one, oh. but, uh, <laughs> one one for nine from the field, oh for seven from deep. Um the guy after that is Ursan at twenty nine minutes. Um, he's a solid three for eight, you know, I mean, Ursan just is basically Ursan at this point. It's good to see him making shots again, uh, defensively. It's, it's a little scary. Um, then Tony Snell after that Sterling Brown. So, I mean, you really, you're worried about those top five guys. And I, I think missing a guy like Brogdon, I mean, you just think about if we're putting Pat Connaughton in that spot, cause they're just looking for a guard. I mean, just look what he's done so far and already given his iffy three point shooting just as a, a career shooter anyway. So I, I think there's a, there's a lot of repercussions to this and we can say, you know, well, maybe they can sort of um, do work by committee and, and sort of a similar to akin to some of the argument that some people have regarding, um, you know, if, if let's say Chris Middleton walked like, well, they have all, they have this sort of this depth that can all replace him. You know, they can get a little bit of you know, defense from Sterling Brown, a little bit of shot making from him. And then yeah, maybe like a they little... Frankenstein everybody like in the yeah. off season, like, okay, we're going to take uh Sterling's right arm, give him DJ's <laughs> left leg, like form and, into a mega person. <laughs> and the best part about that is that um, they have that person uh, all in one. It's just Malcolm Brogdon. Like they have a, they have a guy who can do, just offers you a lot of different looks on offense. And I, I would say probably epitomizes, okay, maybe not the passing part always, but I think he epitomizes a lot of the shoot dribble pass stuff that uh, Bud espoused when he's looking for in a player. And, and clearly you look at the kind of guys that he's, he's really in, have sort of become his pet players. I, I think he certainly epitomizes that. Yeah. And I think what's most difficult with this injury and just kind of evaluating Malcolm, like, yes, he's obviously unique in that he's so skilled in so many different aspects of the game, but with this injury and he had that quad injury last year, right. And I think there were concerns before he was even drafted about a supposed like foot problems or something mm -hmm. along those lines, which I don't know mm -hmm. if this is related to that. Um, but I think it's just another point in the constellation of many of like, how are the Bucks going to address his free agency? Um, and I think maybe these coming weeks will be a good referendum on how important he is really. And, you know, you should never obviously confirm or deny whether or not a guy should stay on the team just because of two weeks of play. But um, I think we'll get a good idea. Like, okay, so is the team able to function? Uh, maybe not. And what does that kind of do for his value? Can rely on this guy? Like, I think there's just, there's a lot of, interesting questions of such a talented guy, but is he someone you can quote unquote rely on? I mean, he's been healthy throughout this year. He was healthy all the way through last year and he's had just kind of two freakish injuries that unfortunately derailed the season right near the end. Yeah. And his, his free agency is obviously a huge impending thing looming over all this. And you're totally right to point out this could be an interesting test drive. We talked a lot about how, how much will the Bucks read from the regular season versus the playoffs when deciding what kind of number to give these kind of guys. Obviously they saw enough in the regular season to just go ahead with Bledsoe and they both agreed that the uh, deal might be mutually beneficial for both. But 
Brogdon, of course, they have this 50-40-90 season in the regular season that's going to remain intact, intact regardless because uh, he's not going to come back for the playoffs. And Yeah, are we sure you know, he didn't purposely tear his? He <laughs> was like, all right, all right, bro, just go at it with this samurai sword. We're going to tear it right here, right now. That was a deft move by his agent. <laughs> uh, and then you, you also, okay, so you also mentioned his his injury back in college. It was to repair a broken bone in his left foot. This okay. one is in his his right foot, so so that's good. Uh, the other thing that I was thinking about is that, I mean, he's not a guy who relies a lot on athleticism, and I am absolutely not a doctor. Um, but he is a guy who seems like he, he plants a lot on his, on his right foot and does all these sort of weird finishes uh, around the basket. I mean, he doesn't draw many fouls, but he has all of this weird repertoire of moves to be able to finish over guys. So I'm curious if, if that's going to be something that's going to plague him when he comes back and nervousness regarding himself planting off that foot as he drives to the basket. Yeah, I mean, like you were, or as we were kind of talking about with this injury, um, I'm not sure if that's really going to be the case because mm. it's more of like a just not like a stress fracture per se, but it's just something that kind of builds up over time. It's not like a ACL or MCL tear where it's this catastrophic, like, can I trust my knee be able to hold up? I'm okay. guessing he was probably dealing with this over the preceding couple of weeks and they just kind of rode with it. Cause you can get by if you need to, like it's going to suck and it's going to hurt a lot, but I'm not sure if it's so much like, Oh, can I trust my foot to be able to allow me to do this? Um, if it heals properly, I'm sure not sure if that's the case, but um, I think there's still a question whether or not you could declare him not injury prone per se, but I think we've seen over the years that you kind of have to account for the fact that Malcolm might sustain some sort of injury, um, at least for a couple of games. And hopefully the timing isn't as bad as it is right now, but um, that's something to definitely account for when you're thinking about what kind of value or what kind of contract he might be, might be coming his way. All right, Riley, I want to talk about, we could, maybe we'll talk about the defense, but um, that's I'm, I, we may have to get a larger sample size to kind of see how the Bucks might tackle that. But I want, I want to have a quick uh, intervention on behalf of Tony Snell. He seems like he should be the guy that would be able to step up in, in Brogdon's absence. He, he was that guy last year. He, he started all the time. Uh, and you know, I was one of the people who was saying it just seems to make a lot more sense to have Tony Snell in the starting lineup than Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, I will I was wrong. I was just, just flat out wrong. Uh, and then when you look at you know how how Tony's season has gone, uh, it's it's kind of fascinating. I mean, he's at a, the lowest minutes he's played per game since his his rookie season. Uh, today in Philadelphia, I mean, he plays eight minutes, uh, gets one shot attempt up, and then is a, a zeros across the rest of the stat line. Doesn't it's a very Tony points. Snell game, is what that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah completely. And I, I mean, he doesn't offer. Uh, the driving ability of Brogdon. He's, he's flashed a few things, but he just doesn't have the ball skills to do that kind of stuff. Uh, he could just be a straight up volume three point shooter. Uh, and I think is a, a more reliable option than, than Pat Connaughton, but clearly uh, Bud seems to value Connaughton and maybe a little bit of his foot speed on defense over Tony Snell. Uh, even though Tony Snell like guarded Russell Westbrook uh, two years ago. So I, I don't know that maybe that doesn't, maybe I might be missing something there, but he seems like a kind of guy who could sort of step into that role. Uh, what do you think has happened to uh, the, the way we're slightly wayward season of, of my guy, Tony Snell? Would you say it's wayward? I think he's having an awesome season for him. I mean, we're not even talking about him, which I think is probably what he prefers. Right. Uh, well, <laughs> if I was again in the mind of Tony. I guess if I was Tony Snell and I saw Pat Connaughton getting more minutes than me, I would think I can be Pat Connaughton. That's how I would think. I, I miss wayward is too a mischaracterization. He is having like, he's having a good season. 
Uh, you know, he's, he, he's shooting well. He's at 39.9% from three. He's sort of doing his Tony Snell things. He's averaging more three-point attempts per 36. You know, I mean, he's having a good season. I guess if I were him right now, though, I'd kind of feel like, all right, well, isn't this is like when I'm supposed to step up. I mean, this is like when I can take minutes from from Pat Connaughton and, and usurp that that sort of role that I had last year. Tony's probably sitting on the bench going, LOL, I'm making 10 times more money. Than that <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I agree that, you know, obviously all these guys are competitors. So I was just joking about that, but I would agree that if you're in Tony's mind, this is probably the time that you step up and, or you, at least you would think you would get the opportunity to, and it's probably doubly so because like I said earlier, when Brogdon was out earlier this season, he was the go-to guy to come off the bench to kind of slot in the starting unit. Now we saw that a lot under kid. Um, and I'm not sure if that was just like a pet project or if he kind of kid kind of had a similar approach to what we were thinking, like, Oh, you have this kind of lower usage guy who's a really good three point shooter and kind of does a little bit of everything. I'm curious how much of it is And Kyle. And I kind of started talking about this a little bit last week and I never know how much to put stock into this, but how much of it is like Connaughton was a quote unquote bud guy or somebody that bud targeted um, mm. or feels more comfortable with. Whereas Tony is a leftover from the previous regime um, and fair. Or otherwise maybe that has something to do with it. And even when Tony was getting starts last year, I mean, here I have to pull up his minutes, but I'm, was he even getting like massively more minutes per game than he is this year. Well, if you look, if you, look Oh yeah, he had like 10 more game. minutes. Yeah. Like, he was at like yeah, 27.4. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at the per 36 numbers, they're they're better this year. I mean, he's taking more shots, so he's being a little less of that shh, I'm, you know, quiet Tony Snell on the court. Um, but you know, I don't know. I mean, he's having I mean, he he's having a good year. I'm a Tony Snell stan. I you know, the, clearly I'm kind of trying to make some sort of weird case for him here, even especially with Sterling Brown out as well. Um, you know, I was just looking at some of like the uh, efficiency numbers on off for the the Bucks this year. If you look at some of the some of the guys that you would have replaced Malcolm Brogdon, so this is uh, basically the efficiency differential per cleaning the glass. So it takes out garbage time and all that kind of stuff. So uh, basically, all of the all of the starters are up there um, in in the positive. So Chris Middleton's at plus three point eight, Bledsoe plus five point four, Brook Lopez plus six point seven, Giannis plus seven, Nikola Mirotic. Kind of surprised that he was at the top at plus nine point four, but of course a significantly smaller sample size there. Brogdon's the worst among the the worst among the starters. Um, so in eighteen hundred minutes, he's at a, a minus 0.8, um, which you might sort of chalk up to him maybe some of those minutes in the with the bench units, but that's not a whole lot uh, of minutes out of his full total there. And then you go a little bit lower than that. Pat Connaughton minus one point four, um, Foundmaker RIP minus two point three, George Hill minus three point six, Tony Snell minus six. Sterling Brown minus thirteen point seven. Who I was really surprised by how low Sterling Brown is because. Uh, I thought he seemed he seemed like he was playing well this year and seemed like he fitted in everything, but uh, a lot of the efficiency numbers just don't really uh, benefit him. We don't bring up those numbers on this podcast. Oh, we're gonna okay. Keep we're going to keep that. Like, you're Tony oh. Snell. We're going to keep that secret for uh, Sterling Brown for me. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. I'm going back to. Um, I'm going oh, back I to read this wrong. Goal. It's Sterling plus 13. My oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I mean, there's. There's not an easy that, that that's why I think Brogdon is so interesting is that there's there's just not an easy answer for him. I think there's a maybe would be a there's not I mean there's not an easy answer for any of these starters who might get hurt. But you know there's sometimes guy there's guys who you could, you could kind of see fitting in and playing in that spot. But Brogdon's at such a 
a deep position for the Bucks. It's hard to really peg out one guy who's going to like suddenly get the the boost, especially given how Bud's just sort of utilized that spot this year and swapped swapped between Pat Connaughton and George Hill and Tony Snell's been the most consistent in terms of getting minutes, but like Sterling Brown and or Dante DiVincenzo, it's kind of been, uh, you know, the by the gust of the wind, depending on how Bud feels. Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, I mean, how would you feel? You kind of asked me earlier when we started talking about this. Would you rather? So you would obviously rather them go with Tony in the starting lineup. I I have to imagine they would probably stick along those lines because unless it's like a matchup dependent thing where like the other team like the Sixers for example are obviously a large starting lineup so maybe Miritich getting the start was to counteract that but I'm curious to see do you continue to plug in wings for Brogdon like I, I for me personally I don't see the plus side to having more length out there especially in the starting lineup but um I'm I don't know, do you feel like there would, can you explain to me why like having Miritich out there would be a positive in the starting lineup? Well, I, th- I think Miritich is, is really interesting because I think it obviously Brogdon spaces the floor. Um, but I also think that like defensively, it might lead them to wanting to switch like a spit a bit more given they'd like really would only have like one guard who can kind of really execute the, the chase down around picks uh, type of defense, you know, I mean, it's really just like Bledsoe and, you know, Giannis can try and fight around it. And Chris Middleton can try and fight around those picks, but I just don't think they're quite as adept at it as, as Brogdon would be given his slightly smaller frame. So I wonder if Miritich might lead them to switch a little more, which would, which would be kind of intriguing to me. Um, but Bud's been so, you know, so he's, he's really wanted to run that zone defense scheme and he's, he's, gone away from it just that zone drop scheme he's gone away from it and been a little more uh, lenient on letting them switch but you know i'm i mean i'm a little more you know i I would lean a little bit more towards miritich maybe just because i feel like that gives you a bit more matchup problems i mean i think he can uh even if he can't stick with a a guard on the defensive end I, i you know i think even if it's just like integrating him into the bucks offense more or like letting him shoot his way out of any sort of potential slump he's in. Like, I I think he is the guy who, if Brogdon is out, has by far the most potential to, you know, replace his production and help them win a playoff series potentially, you know? I mean, I think with Brogdon out, you basically need everyone else to step up. And I think Miritich is the guy who just from a raw numbers point has by far the easiest uh, path from where he's at now to uh, where he could get in terms of replacing Brogdon's numbers. So I guess from a very sort of uh, slightly, I would say, uh, not super advanced or like advanced stats oriented thing, I think that could be one of the benefits of having Miritich over some of these other guys. Yeah, kind of just think about it. Now that you speak about that, kind of conceptually thinking about it, like if you're not going to be able to have a guy like Brogdon out there who's able to generate the kind of spacing just by or taking advantage of the spacing, if you have to artificially generate the spacing, then Miritich might be the best out there just because, as we were talking about, none of the other wing guys who could fill in for Brogdon are nearly as adept and would be able to replicate it to a high enough degree to make the offense still work. So I guess that would make sense if you have to force opponents to respect the perimeter. So you just throw another guy out there. And then even though you're not able to take as much advantage inside, you're not clogging it up per se. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, any other closing thoughts on this, this Brogdon discussion? I I think it's really going to be fascinating to see how this goes uh, throughout the rest of the season. And um, at least for this week, we're going to put Dante's Inferno uh, on ice for one week while he gets back from that 
bursitis issue that apparently flamed up again. Please get well soon, Dante, so we can thrust you into this discussion a little further. But anything else you want to say about this Brogdon uh, injury issue? Uh, no, I would just say or conclude by saying it sucks. Um, and yeah. it kind of it illuminates just how lucky the Bucks have been with injury problems this year. I mean, yeah, Dante's had a long stretch and Hill and Sterling, but for the most part, the top five guys have had a really clean bill of health throughout the season. So really, really unfortunate that it happens this late into the season. But uh, hopefully that's about it in terms. Hopefully the basketball gods have taken their sacrifice from the Bucks for the year and uh, we can get through the rest of the season with a clean bill of health. Yeah, fingers crossed. And if you're looking for how I'm feeling this week about that bet, Kyle was pretty far out when I saw that Brogdon injury. So that wasn't uh, <laughs> wasn't great for how I felt about <laughs> making my money back. Uh, all right, well, let's let's move on to the final topic here and just take a peek at the week ahead. So on Tuesday, the Bucks will match up at home against the Los Angeles Lakers. LeBron James comes to town. They are fresh off getting beat by, God dang it, who do they just lose to? It's I'm so sorry. Laws to the Knicks, right? Yeah, they just lost to the Knicks. All right, that was hilarious. All right, so the Lakers just lost to the Knicks. That was really funny. Uh, and then they go on Wednesday night to Cleveland. And then they come back to the five serve to take on the Heat on Friday and then finish it off with a Sunday game against the Cleveland Cavaliers. So, Riley, how do you think the Bucks are going to fare in this four-game stretch? I think this might be one of the rare weeks and maybe you're going to ruin it. Uh, no pressure on you, but I think we might <laughs> all go four and zero this week just because none of these teams are great. Like I think the Lakers are already eliminated from playoff contention. So I don't even know if LeBron is suiting up anymore. It could be day play against the Knicks. Do we know? Uh, it doesn't matter one way yeah, or the other. I mean, yeah, he, he did play. Okay. Well, even if he did play, I mean, playoff mode, LeBron is no longer relevant because they're not going to make the playoffs, which is shocking and hilarious in its own way. Cleveland is awful, as everybody knows. Um, and the Heat, we just gave him the business, and I assume it will go the same way at home. So I am pretty confident we're going to come through this week uh, 4 0. The only issue would be. Uh, the at Cleveland game, especially if Bud uses that as another opportunity to rest Giannis. But uh, otherwise, I see probably a four and a week coming. Yeah, that's of course a, a Sega Baba there, second game of a back to back. Kyle guessed that they would go four and oh. Um, thankfully, he got his, his guess in in time so that we can't make up words and put them in his mouth. Uh, it was a smart move, Kyle. Savvy, and, <laughs> yeah, because uh, I saw how he's, that went wet. He's a giant. Uh, which Wisconsin big man was it you gave me a shot? John Luer fan. Yeah, he's figure a, out what the equivalent would be for Kyle. <laughs> um, he, yeah, huge John Lure fan. Um, maybe a deep cut. Uh, Mike Wilkinson. That would be uh, that he could be a big Mike Wilkinson fan from back there in the day. Um, Keaton Ankeville. Uh, that would be a deep cut as well. Uh, Medicine Warrior guy once served a pretzel to him at Auntie Anne's. Actually. Oh, um, okay, hold on. We buried the lead. We buried it deep. <laughs> we need more on the story next. Week. <laughs> uh, yeah, tune in next week. So I'm going to go four and zero as well. I just think the Bucks are going to take care of business, um, and uh, they hopefully maintain their lead on the Raptors. Thank you to the Raptors, by the way, for giving us another gift and uh, just blowing their blowing their game today uh, on on Sunday against the Detroit Pistons. Thank you, Andre Drummond. Thank you, Blake Griffin, for beating the Raptors too maintain the bucks uh is there a three game lead still yeah three game yep. lead in the eastern conference so 
uh, that's just seemed to work out where if the, the Bucks are losing on a night, the Raptors seem to work lose that same night. So thank you. John Maker clutch, seven <laughs> points, three, three rebounds, zero from three from three. He knew he, deep down. He's like, this is from, oh, these from my guys. <laughs> that, okay. All right. Well, let's just read his, his box score really quick. All right. 17 minutes for Thon. Thank you. Seven points, three boards, uh, two blocks, two for five from the field. Three for three from the free throw line. Oh, for three from deep. Uh, Can you imagine how hyped he was on those blocks too? Oh my god, oh, I just got god. chills thinking about him screaming into the sky. Finished a plus three. Uh, <laughs> 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 I don't mean to clown on you, Thon. It's it's all good. Look, good luck, we uh, we, <laughs> good luck we all. Forward. We all love Thon. Uh, and then in that, did did LeBron play in that game? No, that's right, because I saw that hilarious tweet on Friday night that said if uh, if LeBron was playing in the Lakers game, Thon would have absolutely destroyed him, uh, <laughs> which is really funny to me. Hashtag facts only. With Instead, with no LeBron, Thon had four points, three boards, and a lot of three personal fouls. All right, there we go, minus seven. Thon Maker. You'll always be in our hearts. You'll that's always it be a for our, that's it for our look around the league. This week. <laughs> <laughs> You'll always be a buck in our hearts. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's close it on that, Riley. Just uh, with a Thonmaker box score breakdown, and uh, we'll head out for the week. Thanks as always for listening. It feels good to be back. We might have the whole crew back together next Sunday. Uh, we haven't really talked about it at all. Uh, but in the meantime, go on to your favorite podcast app. We're available there. Check us out on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Rate. Review us five stars, por favor, or whatever you think we're worth. Uh, and um, make sure to check out Brian's weekly Bucks Film Room podcast. Always really, really great. He had an excellent, excellent breakdown last week with uh, Jackson Frank, uh, who was really hard for me to not switch that around when I was just talking about Frank Jackson on the Pelicans. But he was from Liberty Ballers, broke down the 76ers. Awesome stuff. Drops every single Thursday morning, and then also go online. Uh, Mitchell Maurer, co-managing editor of brewhoop.com, wrote an excellent piece breaking down who could possibly replace Brogdon um, from the depth, from the uh, bevy of wings, and then also potentially Nikola Meritich. So make sure to go to brewhoop.com, listen to us every week that you can. Let us know any feedback you have. Thanks again. On the streets of old Milwaukee a young boy walking Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.